Brothers and sisters, uh, we're looking at the 40th chapter of Genesis today and our look at the story of Joseph. And so I invite you to hear these words. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he waited on them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office." And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to make mention of me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this place. For in fact, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. And hang you on a pole, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his cupbearing, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But the chief baker he hanged, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful day, for the voices of our children, for this day to celebrate our fathers. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with all of our fathers, and we thank you, God, just as those words that the children sing, Lord, about who you are as our Father, as our Creator. And because of that, God, we pray that it would shape and change how we see ourselves and how we see others. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, 
O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So in a lot of ways, it feels a little bit, to me at least, like, uh, like so far when it comes to the Joseph story that we've been looking at it from kind of a, a far distance, as if the lens has been a, a little bit away and we've just been kind of racing through and just to kind of get an overview as to what Joseph's like, life is like. And in some ways then, what we're doing today is we're kind of narrowing in a little bit more. Things are slowing down. We're getting a bit more detail about Joseph. And this particular passage, of course, has quite a bit in it. It has uh, dreams and humor, fear and gore, hope, as well as dismay. The passage starts much like uh, the last one ended, which is telling us a little bit about Joseph and about his responsibilities in the prison. We were told last week, of course, that Joseph um, was able to move his way up, if you will, within the prison ranks. And so sure enough, he is taking care of the other prisoners. Now, not only, it seems, is he taking care of them, he also serves a bit as a psychologist and uh, as a futurist and a dream interpreter. And we've got two people on this day, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And both of these were pretty important for Pharaoh. The chief baker, of course, is important because he's fixing your food. And it's important not just that it tastes good, but also that it doesn't kill you. Right? And so the chief baker has to be somebody that you trust and that you know does not want you dead. And then the other, uh, the other servant is the chief cupbearer. And that person, of course, he holds Pharaoh's drink, right? This was clearly before uh, coasters had been invented. And so he's, he's there to hold the cup for him. But then he also, uh, he's also a person who is there to give advice. He's usually very close to Pharaoh. And if there's a problem or he needs something, the, the cupbearer can kind of give him some advice as to what he thinks he should do. And so both of these are pretty important But we don't know exactly why they are there, and we don't know exactly whether or not they are connected or not. We just know that they are in a prison that Joseph is looking after. But we also know, of course, that they are sad. Now, you would think, of course, that you would be sad just because of the fact that you are in prison. That makes sense, quite frankly. But but also it seems that there was something more because when Joseph comes in, he sees that they are troubled about something, that they are dismayed. And so he says to them, why are you so upset? And they said, well, of course we've had these dreams and, 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 and we don't have anyone to interpret them. And it should be pointed out that dreams were very significant in this time. In fact, there are still a lot of books from ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia that are full of dreams and their interpretations. And so it was very important. And if you were a part of Pharaoh's court, of course, you've always had good access to dream interpreters. And now there they are, not only ostracized from Pharaoh, but also without access to these dreams that may be telling them what's happening next. And so they complain to Joseph that there's nobody to interpret the dreams, to which Joseph acknowledges God and says, isn't it God who helps to interpret dreams? And so then Joseph begins to interpret those dreams because Joseph knows a thing or two about dreams. And so the chief cupbearer comes and he tells him his dream. And there's Joseph, of course. I'm sure he sits there. He's kind of like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. Ooh. Interesting. Okay. 
And so then the cupbearer's done, and boom, just like this, all of a sudden he tells him, okay, in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and restore you to your place beside him as the cupbearer. And, and we don't know for sure because it doesn't say, but you can imagine that the cupbearer is probably pretty excited, yeah? Okay, have you ever been in prison, right? It's pretty exciting if you get released from that, isn't it? So all of a sudden he's going to be released, so he's happy. Okay, great. And then I love this part because you can tell the baker, he, he's been kind of holding back a little bit, right? In fact, Genesis tells us that, he was, that it was after he discovered that the interpretation was favorable, then he told him about his dream, right? So when it seemed like it was good, then the chief baker was like, hey, I got something too. Hear this. And so he begins to tell him, right? And Joseph is like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. And as soon as he's done, Joseph tells him, okay, well, Pharaoh is also going to lift up your head from your body. And you're going to be hanged, and birds are going to be eating your flesh. Croissant? Uh, right? What do you do with that, right? It's, it's very awkward, right? And we don't know how, uh, how, the, uh, how the chief baker responds to that either. Uh, but what we do know is that in three days, everything happened exactly as Joseph said that it would. Which is a sign, of course, that again, that Joseph and God are aligned. There's this sense, of course, that God continues to be in Joseph's life. And so the question for us this morning is that question of what then do we do with this? It's a bit of an odd passage, quite frankly. So what exactly, how does this pertain to us? And as I was thinking about that, I, I realized that when it comes to Scripture, of course, it's very much, it's, it's important that we read it much like a good moderator will moderate a committee meeting. What I mean by that is committees are always full of very different people. You have people who are loud and people who are quiet. You have people who are funny, people who are serious, people who are passionate, and people who are more intellectual in the way they do things. People who see things black and white, people who see things with lots of gray. And, and, and one of the things that as a moderator of committees that you learn pretty quickly is that it'd be very easy to only hear from the loud and passionate Right? It would be very easy if, if left to our own devices that you would only hear from the loudest of people. And so one of the things, if you're moderating a committee, that you have to do is you have to look for the people who are quiet, the people who are tucked away in the shadows. Who, because oftentimes, I have covered at least, oftentimes it is the quiet people who are contemplative and who are thinking who may just have the most important thing to say. And the reason why I bring that up is because in a passage like this one, that's full of so many exciting things, like dreams and, 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 and people having their flesh eaten by birds, things like that, that are, that are gross but are also interesting. Uh, whenever, you, whenever you have that, it would be easy to focus on those things. And perhaps by so doing, you would omit or not even see the quiet part of this passage that may actually have the most to say to us today. And that quiet part of which I speak is in the 14th and 15th verses. It's right after Joseph has interpreted the cupbearer's dreams. I hope you heard it. It says this, 
Joseph says to the cupbearer, but remember me when it is well with you. Please, he says, do me the kindness to make mention of me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this place. For in fact, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we are exposed to a part of Joseph that we have not previously seen. Joseph, the one, you know, who has these grandiose dreams. Joseph, the one who's not afraid to tell them, you know, has a bit of pride or has a bit of arrogance at points even, perhaps. Joseph, who, even though he was thrown in a pit, seems like he still has his chin up. Joseph, who even when he was a slave, he decides to work, like we talked about last week, right then and right there. Nope, the dream's not dead. I'm going to keep going. Joseph, who even after he was unjustly accused and thrown in prison, continues to work right there and say, don't worry about it. We're going to keep going. Joseph, who seems to be full of confidence, which I believe is true and right, and yet at this point we see that there is also a tension in Joseph's life, which is that he is afraid that he has been forgotten. And in this brief little two verses, it's as if his colorful coat is pulled back just a bit and we begin to see that Joseph is also someone who is in remarkable need. The need to know that he has not been forgotten. Not by the cupbearer, not by his family, not even by his And see, I think that's significant because my guess is that almost all of us know what it is like to be fearful of having been forgotten. Right? From the time that we are young, I mean, I can remember pretty distinctly a couple of times in daycare or when I was at a babysitter and my parents were a little bit late picking me up. And I can remember some of that fear. Did they, did they forget me? Have they moved on beyond me? Was the last time I was bad the, 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 going to be the very last time I was ever bad to them? Have they, have they moved beyond, right? That fear of having been forgotten. And then, of course, well, when we get older, that's still there, right? If you don't believe it, right, then forget your anniversary date if you're married, right? If you've ever forget, forgotten it, you know that there's trouble there, right? Why? Because we take that very personally because it feels like you have forgotten me, right? That you've forgotten this. And if you forget a birthday, if you remember the birthday, if you remember the anniversary, there's great joy. And if you forget, there is much sorrow, right? But even as we get older, in fact, perhaps specifically when we get older. As a, as a pastor, I have the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to have a lot of great conversations with older saints here and in other places. And I want you to know that one of the greatest fears, one of the worst things when you grow older is not necessarily the repeated medical checks. It's not the achy joints. It's not even the loss of independence. It is the fear that you are going to be forgotten. The fear that you are going to go off and be put in some room in some faraway building and that they will not remember me. And of course, throughout the scripture, we see this sense of remembering or this sense of forgetting. The Psalms are full of this, right? You have Psalm 10, do not forget 
the helpless. Psalm 113, will you forget me forever? Psalm 79, don't forget the lives of your afflicted people. And then the 106th Psalm, very pithy here. Remember me, O Lord. And what you have to understand, of course, is that at the heart of this desire to be remembered, at the heart of this fear of being forgotten, is a question of importance. Am I important enough to be remembered? Do I matter? When Joseph is saying to the cupbearer, hey, remember me, he's not just saying it flippantly. He is asking a deeper question. He is saying, do I matter enough to you for you to remember me? Do I matter enough to my family that I am in this dungeon? Do I even matter, perhaps, at times he wrestled with, with God? Do I even matter enough that he knows that I am in this dungeon? It is a remarkably vulnerable question that my guess is all of us feel, though perhaps many of us hide from. This is Father's Day, of course, and so this week I've been thinking about my own father and some of the stories of, of my dad. And one of the stories that I will never forget is what happened when I was eight years old. Old. We had been living in Guam at the time, and so we were going over to visit uh, Tokyo for a week. And so it was uh, me and my older sister, my mom and dad. And, and so we had uh, just gotten done eating lunch at Wendy's, um, because when you're in Tokyo, you should always go eat at Wendy's. And so there is a reason behind that, but I won't go into it, okay? But we had just gotten done eating, and we were walking along the streets of Tokyo, and, and my mother still had her cup with her, and she had emptied it out, and I, I wanting to kind of be a diligent and good son, said, hey, don't worry about it, Ma. I saw a trash can a few stores back. I'll take care of it. And, and so she said, well, okay. And, and so there I was, and really what I wanted to do is I just, I love that sense of independence. That's right. I own this place, Tokyo. Don't worry about it. I got this covered, and so sure enough, I, I went right back to where I, where I knew that trash can was. There it was. Bam, I threw it away. And I walked right back to where my family was. Or at least where I thought they had been. Because when I returned to that place, they were not there. And so I had to figure out, well, what am I... What am I going to do? And all of a sudden, in that moment, right, when you go back and you see, all of a sudden, then I realize, wait a second, Jerry, you're actually only eight years old, right? You don't speak Japanese, and you're in a city that you have no understanding of, and there are people running this way and that along the streets, and I had no idea what to do. But I knew one thing, which is that I could not act like I had no idea what to do. I knew that I, I had to act like I, I knew exactly what was happening. Otherwise, someone might take me, right? And so I began to walk with great diligence and, and great confidence, I thought, in my face. And so I just began to walk, and I began to look and look. But I couldn't find them. And so I just kept walking. I tried to walk, and then I saw a subway entrance. And I remembered, wait, I remember now that mom and dad said that we were going to go into the subway after we were done with lunch. Maybe, maybe they went down and, and, and maybe they forgot me. 
And so I said, okay, well, so I walked down the stairs of the subway, and there I was in the middle of the subway, people going this way and that, in the middle of Tokyo as an eight-year-old kid with blonde hair who looked very different than everybody else, and I looked around, and there was nobody there that looked anything like me at all. And so then I said, well, I can't come down here. They're not down here, or if they are, they're already on the subway, and I don't, I don't quite feel confident enough to jump on the subway. And so I decided to walk up. I was going to walk up the stairs, and I did, and I walked up the stairs to where the light was. I can remember seeing the light in my eyes of reaching, you know, the level ground again. And then there was a police officer. And at that point, I said, you really got to act like you know what you're doing now because otherwise they're going to take you into the police station. And so I just kept walking. And I walked, I think, probably four or five steps past the police officer when all of a sudden everything began to come crashing down. And I knew that I couldn't go any further. And so I looked at this building. I can see it in my eyes right now. I went over to the building, and I leaned up against it, and I crumpled down to the ground, and I began to weep. I said, where did they go? Have they forgotten me? felt like I certainly didn't matter amongst all of the people going this way and that in that city. And in the midst of that, as I was crying, I looked up. And about a half a block away, up on a light pole, about halfway up, was a man. A man who was my father, who, who though he is, he is terrified of heights, said, I don't care. I am going to get up as high as I can because I am going to find the son that I love. And I will never forget the feeling as he jumped down and as I ran to him and the embrace. And as we embraced the sense of, Jerry, I will never, ever forget you. You matter. about that embrace as I listened to Joseph say to the cupbearer, remember me. And I thought, I wonder if God, when he says that, is saying to Joseph, Joseph, hold I will never forget you, Joseph. Hold on. You will see it in the days ahead. Hold on, Joseph. You matter to me. wonder whether or not there aren't some in our midst today who need to be reminded of that very thing. Who need to be reminded that they matter. Who need to be reminded that they have not been forgotten. Now for some of us, it's what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks of those who are in the pit and those who are stuck and are wondering if they have, are forgotten. But for others of us, I want you to hear me, especially the dads. For others of us, it may be those of us who feel like we aren't in a pit and yet if we're honest, we are running from one thing to another, trying as hard as we can to be as successful as we can, because what we're actually doing is yearning and hoping that if we can just do enough, that we will matter. If we can just do enough and be successful enough, then we will not be forgotten. And God is saying to you, like a father climbing up a light pole, you matter to me, not because of what you are doing or not doing. You matter to me because you are are mine. You matter to me because you are loved by me.
I was also reminded this week of the simple reality that not only are we called to remind one another of that, but we are called as a people to remind those across the world that they matter. In the wake of what's happened in Orlando this past Sunday, and the political maneuverings that are always a part of these kinds of things, I've thought what I really want, what I wish we could do, is for the church to just stop. What I desperately wish is that the church could go back 10 days and could find each of those people, and I mean each of them, and give them an embrace that says to them, you matter, you are loved. And I want you to know that that's the case in Orlando and it's the case here. It may be the person who was right down the street. It may be the older person whose family has moved away and they are stuck there and they are wondering. And just today on the way out, this older woman said this to me, wondering at times, do I matter? Does anyone even remember me? Or it may be the CEO of your company who's just gangbusters going and what you don't know is the reason why they keep doing more and keep working more is because they are hoping that somebody notices them and that they will be remembered. Part of our call is to remind them that they are loved Part of my call as your pastor is to remind you that you are loved, that you matter, not because you have perfect kids, not because you've made this much money, not because you've served on 10 committees of the church. You matter because you are loved by God. Joseph says to the cupbearer, Remember me. God will say what he says to each of us now. I will never forget you. You matter. You are loved. Let us pray. God, in this time, when it is so easy for us to be distracted by this or that, it's a time, God, when oftentimes we don't even think about the harder questions until we have laid our heads down on our pillows at night. And those anxious questions that ask, does anyone notice me? Have I been remembered even by God. I hope in my prayer, God, is that everyone here knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that you matter to them, that you love them, that in Christ you came down to be with them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.